This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. All right, welcome into an, uh, I guess with an air quotes here, an emergency podcast of Browns Film Breakdown. It's going to be weird sort of structuring how we're going to do the offseason, and the offseason sort of crept into a weird week here with, with New Year's and all of that stuff. So I think it's a good time because the Browns have been <laughs> obviously one of the most active franchises postseason that aren't involved in the playoffs in, in what is going on with the future of their franchise. So I think it's important to sort of touch base with where things sit post uh, firings or, or post-departures, and then sort of look at what is to come maybe in the next week or two. And um, someone I always appreciate talking to about this stuff because, not because we have like-minded ideas, I think that we disagree on on, on our fair share of things, but the banter is always good, and I think it's as good as we're going to find in this realm of, an, of even-keeled takes and, and looking at things from an analytical approach. So Brendan Leister, Pro Football Focus Analyst, is going to join us here. Brendan, how are you? Doing great, man. It's good to be back on. How yeah. are you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. We're 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 into 2020. I haven't changed at all. I was hoping I would change overnight and morph into somebody different, but um, you know, we're still the same old dude. So we're gonna attack. We're gonna attack the Browns as we normally attack them and um, scratch our heads and be confused and and try to make sense of some of these things. So let's let's start with um, the, the, what's happened, Brendan. So. We, we obviously saw Freddie get fired. I think you and I, through the end of the year, expected that it didn't take a train die to think that they might move on from Freddie. But what is interesting to me is the departure of John Dorsey and sort of the reasoning for that departure, some of the stories that are trickling out, whatever. I'm looking for from you uh, your perspective on the change with John and the change with Freddie and sort of how those two um, you know, morphed into one sort of firing you know what I mean how, how do you take in what happened with uh with those big changes at the top yeah so I think with Dorsey it kind of starts uh I'll even go all the way back to him like the first coach that he brought into the organization because I think people have kind of missed that and it's an important detail with this whole thing he had a lot of say in Todd Haley joining Hugh Jackson's coaching staff in 2018 and I think that his idea back then was to promote Todd Haley to interim head coach when they fired Hugh Jackson. Paul DePodesta supposedly, according to a lot of people that seem to have sources on these things, Paul DePodesta stepped in, talked to Haslam about it, said that's not a good idea. Haslam ended up firing both of them, and that was when they promoted Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens. So let's think of that as John Dorsey's first chance at hiring a coach, and that clearly went down in flames. So then get to the offseason, and they go through the – 
you know, the whole situation with going for the whole coaching search and everything. And seems that more of the analytically inclined minds in the organization, for the most part, Deep Podesta, Andrew Barry, and others um, preferred Kevin Stefanski at the time. Um, inexperienced like Kitchens, but seems to have a better, you know, better uh, wealth of experience and those types of things than uh, Kitchens did at the time. Dorsey went with Kitchens, obviously. Um, and and really, that was definitely a Dorsey hire. I mean, it seems like Haslam just handed the keys to Dorsey at that point, let him, uh, I think how he put it, flex his muscles, quote unquote. And, uh, and he made that hire and, you know, they, they ended up going down together. Um, I think that Kitchens kind of let Dorsey handle a lot of or have a lot of power, I should say, over like who played on game day and stuff like that as far as like David Njoku being inactive late in the year, Richard Higgins not really being active at all, hardly, barely playing after his injury. I think those were both Dorsey, uh, you know, power move type things. Also, um, Antonio Callaway just being thrust onto the field even though he had barely any practice time. I think that was another Dorsey move, and obviously that went down in flames. Uh, mm. With with Callaway being suspended midway through the season and cut, um, so I think overall, just it just showed that you know the team was poorly coached. The coach was clearly in over his head. Uh, the coaching staff just didn't do a good job overall. The quarterback regressed massively and didn't play well, and nothing looked organized on offense or defense. And in the end, you know, the coach that Dorsey hired got fired, and I think that. The whole thing was going into this offseason, there was no way that Jimmy Haslam could let John Dorsey choose another coach and have big say over that, as well as looking at what he's done to the cap room, which has completely been decimated since he took over as GM. Just if you look in comparison at what what he had versus what there is now, they're going to have to really do a good job of cleaning that up this offseason and next offseason because there's been a lot of damage to that long term. Um, And also... Uh, just if you look at the drafts, I mean, as time's gone on, those drafts have looked a lot poorer with Callaway flaming out, with Corbett getting traded and failing this year, with him trading Jannard Avery for whatever reason. I mean, I think that was another really odd move that Dorsey probably made, um, which made little sense because he drafted him. But overall, there was just way too many questionable moves with his track record and a lot of poor characters were brought into the locker room and I think it all just culminated on the field with barely beating the Bengals uh, that one week and then a three-game losing streak to end the season. Yeah, I mean, let's backtrack just a step here. Last offseason, they they seemed to to keep their scope of coaching hire tight. There weren't many names Mm -hmm. that were brought up that were actually – I'm not sure we got a great picture of who they really interviewed – and who they didn't interview, it was very hush hush. We did find out that this that, that, that this Kevin Stefanski had a second interview, and they were serious about him. I I at the time, maybe you were different, Brendan, but at the time I was like, kind of what the hell? I I don't really get it. I he had just been the thing that makes Kevin Stefanski interesting. And I'm I'm bringing him up now, um, and we'll dive back into John Dorsey. What makes him interesting <laughs> is, um, you know, back then everybody's scratching their head. Nobody understands why they're really interested in this guy um you know and and at that time it was justified if you remember 
you know, the Vikings were going through offensive struggles, um, you know, with, with um, help me out, step in. John DeFilippo. John DeFilippo should be familiar to you folks in Cleveland, was an offensive coordinator here. They were going through struggles. They started the year hot. The end of the year, they faded. They didn't run the ball like people expected them to run the ball at Dalvin Cook. Never got anything going with cohesion there. They don't win the division. They don't get – I don't think they made the playoffs yet last year. Um, but 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 then at the end of the year, steps in this Kevin Stefanski, and, and we're like, okay, we're interviewing this guy, kind of like Freddie, who has only been an interim offensive coordinator. But yep. what's interesting is um, the ties to – uh, Kevin and 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 the likes of Paul De Podesta and their background, their understanding, their analytical approach, um, their sort of removed nature from emotion, those sorts of things. So f- f- for for 2018, sake, Brendan, what would you know? Because Paul De Podesta was it was his guy was Kevin Stefanski. Obviously, didn't get the job, but what about him would they have liked at that time? I think just I think they. Interviewing him from what it sounds like he knocked out the interview. I mean that that's what people that supposedly, you know, with sources and all that stuff. Um, Charles Robinson, I think he's been a really good source on all this stuff. He's been really on top of the situation for over a year now, talking about the coaching search last year as well as what's going on with the Browns this year. He must know someone with ties to to De Podesta or know someone with ties to Haslam that's really telling him a lot of stuff, but he clearly knows a lot about the situation. And he said that, or at least I think it was him that said that Stefanski knocked out both interviews and was clearly the best interview of all the guys that they, they met with. And um, it was, I guess there was kind of a feel last year with the, with those interviews that Dorsey might be looking for a weak candidate, which I think led more to the hire with kitchens. But, but when it comes to Stefanski, I think like Andrew Barry appreciated his, uh, yeah, like you said, an analytical approach. I think like he's all, he went to Penn, like he's an Ivy league guy. Not that that makes a person smarter than anybody else, but I think like minds though, I mean, those guys are similar. Yeah. In yeah, that nature. yeah. Intellectual. I yeah. mean, if you listen to the guy speak, I would say he sounds very educated he doesn't sound uh i'm not going to say freddie kitchen sounds dumb by any stretch of the imagination but if you you know listen to freddie kitchen's talk i mean it makes sense that these reports have come out about like analytics staff giving him reports on monday about how they could be you know put into the game plan and stuff and that just completely like boggling his mind and him not being able to handle that like i think like if you listen to Kevin Stefanski speak and I've, I've seen him in press conferences and I've seen him, they, the Minnesota Vikings organization seems like they do a really good job of having their assistant coaches like sit down with media members and mm-hmm. do these, these whole things where they just talk about, you know, practice and the game and like kind of just general overview of what's going on within the team, like for the week with the given game coming up. It's kind of neat. If you watch it, it's like on YouTube. So just listening to him talk, it's easy to see where a hiring manager would kind of fall in love with him during an interview process. It just seems like he's a very process oriented guy that understands, you know, you know what it takes to, to be a leader and have a plan and, you know, empower people under you and all the things that it kind of takes to be a great leader and a great head coach, I would say. And that's probably what attracted guys like Dee Podesta and, and Barry. Whereas, I think maybe some of the football guys leaned more toward 
the person that had the relationship with Baker Mayfield already, and they had already seen it up close within the organization. And those guys definitely had, you know, a strong bond at that point in time from the little winning streak they went on uh, late in the season last year. So, you know, it was just two different approaches. And and I agree with you in saying that I was I was much more on the Freddie Kitchens bandwagon at at the point in time. You know, I was I had more questions about Stefanski. I didn't know as much about him. Um, I did wonder. You know, with him coming out of nowhere at the time, I remember thinking, man, I wonder what what's so great about that coach. I mean, he's only, you know, called plays in three games like he must be a really impressive candidate because I don't know much, you know, about his resume or anything. But really, yeah, uh, yeah, it, 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 there's just always more to it with a head coaching candidate, in my opinion, than just calling plays or a scheme like there's just so much more to it that goes into it for a guy to work out long term as a head coach. Absolutely. And I think you're right. I don't think anybody was wrong in being all in on Freddie. I think we had seen here's here's my opinion on this. And I've talked to a couple people about it. You know, in the 20 years this franchise has been back, Brendan, you tell me if I'm wrong. How many times can you sit here and say that it felt like your team was more prepared than the other team? That your team was a better coach team than the other team? I can't tell you very many times that would happen. Maybe a couple of, of times a year these things popped up. But it, it, as far as like feeling like a consistent stretch of like my team is out coaching the other team, down the stretch it felt like that, dude. And for the first time... Yep. In a long time, I, I was like, this might be right. This weird Alabama mm-hmm. guy might be what Baker Mayfield needs. He might have just this weird sort of ability to draw the best out of players. It all made sense. I don't think there's anybody that was wrong for saying this was a great hire because we had no evidence otherwise. What's intriguing to me is that Stefanski is very similar in terms of where he is in his career. A guy who has been a position coach for the large part of his career. Now, the interesting thing is that, um, and, and this speaks to who Kevin Stefanski is uh, as, a, as a coach, he lasted through several different regimes in, in Minnesota. One of those guys who knew coaching staffs come in and they say, we're going to keep that guy around because we like him. He's been there for a while. I think he's been there for a decade, maybe longer. And they say, we meet with this guy. He's really impressive. We're blown away by him. I think they said a decade and a half on one of those articles. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. No, you're you. right. Yeah. You're right. Jump in any time. Where they talk to him. Said like fifteen years, maybe sure. something like that, which is which is great, yeah. which is fantastic, and it tells you about his ability to stick within a franchise and people at the higher level saying we like this guy, we want to see him be an in-house guy that we can bring along. They do that with this with Stefanski, and then they finally give him this opportunity late twenty eighteen, and then he interviews, which is interesting. Cleveland and people have asked me, you know, would Stefanski be rubbed the wrong way if? Um, you know, if, if if they didn't hire him last year. Well, no, I'm sure the conversation that happened last year was, listen, man, we really like you, but we need to see more of your ability to handle one side of the football or whatever. I'm sure that that discussion happens where they, where they say, we think this guy's a leader of men, but we need to see him actually lead a side of, of, of an offense, you know, or defense, whatever the guy coaches. He's an offensive guy. We need to see him lead, and what does that look like? Well, that's great, and I think that that's not necessarily the wrong approach. I think Freddie's situation was a little different, but um, my point is they say we really like this guy. Let's see how it goes, and I think Kevin at that time probably thinks this this franchise, the Cleveland Browns, are the only one to give me a second or first and second interview to be a head coach. So in my opinion, he's probably like, I like these guys. I think that they're really yeah. interested in me, so I don't think there's going to be any of that rub the wrong way. I think it's going to be the – 
exact opposite of that if they do go to Kevin obviously and have a good interview with him is he's going to say these guys really want me they almost hire me despite the entire I can't say the entire fan base but I would say Brendan 85 to 90 percent of the fan base was all in on Freddie Kitchens and I and that's me too and you too and that's Mm -hmm. okay I still don't think we're wrong at the time based on the little bit of what we know about a person that we that we get from watching games and we get from hearing them talk to the press we learn that it was the antithesis of what we thought Freddie was, is the opposite. So they move on. So that brings us to the next circle of the situation, which is who are they going to hire? I'm with you on John Dorsey. I thought I thought it's okay if John Dorsey stayed another year, but I also thought they needed to have more um, you know, sharper, number-driven minds that were involved. And if John can't take a step back and say, man, I, I can't have total control of this thing, I can't be in control of the hire, I can't be in control of everything with a with an iron fist, then he shouldn't be here. The biggest thing that I want is people who can say, I don't have an ego. I can listen to people and we can form cohesive decisions together. Whether John was here um, as 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 the all-seeing GM and, and, and pound the table, um, you know, the ultimate say, I should say with air quotes, about all personnel decisions – you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what they were trying to take away from him, but if he can't be an adult and work together with the staff, then I that's the biggest thing that I want for this franchise going forward. And we're going to talk about McCarthy, and we're going to talk about Josh McDaniel still, too, and some of the San Francisco guys. But the thing that this place needs more than anything is is a unified vision of where they're going so that there are no you're-not-going-to-believe-what-happened-behind-the-scenes type things happening anymore. It cannot be that way. It just simply cannot be where this franchise has multiple people running to Jimmy Haslam from different angles and tattletailing and trying to get his side, get in his ear. That shit has to stop. And if it doesn't stop, they're going to continue to be in purgatory for the next 20 years. The goal for Jimmy Haslam in this hiring process is, in my opinion, you want a head coach that's great moving forward. We all do. I, I, I want that. I want that really badly. The thing I want more than that is a franchise that has a totem pool uh, of, of people from top to bottom that are unified in the vision of where it's going and the belief in where it is all going to end up down the line. I don't think you can have people who have different approaches and cannot sit at the table and have man-to-man conversations, group conversations that are productive, cohesive, and understanding of what is the common goal for this franchise. If they continue to do the football guys versus the numbers guys, that's never going to work. So the biggest thing that Jimmy has to get right, and it's scary because Jimmy doesn't get much right since since his arrival, but he has to figure this out, man. That is the thing they have to figure out. Yep. Now, they might hire Stefanski, and after two years, three years, four years, they figure out, man, this guy can't really do the stuff that we need him to do, but they're going to keep everybody else intact and stick with what their goal is and bring in another head coach to get it done. They need to be unified at the top if they're ever going to be able to find the right guy to be a head coach for the long term. So I want to talk about the head coach. That's important. It's it's the it's the attention grabber, but the unified vision of where this is all going and how it works, it has to be people behind closed doors that are unified and are not tattling on each other and don't have situations where they're acting like pricks because you know that was happening. You know it was happening with, between you and Sashi. You know it was happening between John and Paul and these other guys who are not unified in, 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 in the vision of where this is going, and you have somebody who's who's saying, I have an ego, I'm self-absorbed, I'm not going to listen to anybody else 
I want the attention. I want all of this stuff. That shit has to stop. You need to hire grown-ups who understand what it takes to work as a functioning front office. I'm sorry, man. That's a long rant. But, like, that's where I'm at with it. And I think that then from there, you can say if if Paul and they hire Andrew Barry or or if they go a different round and they, they hire Elliot Wolf as the GM, whoever, those people have to be in lockstep. So that's where I'm at, dude. That's where I'm at with it. And I think that that is what has to happen first and foremost. I think they're talking about hiring a head coach before the GM. I, I don't know. I, I, I just know they need to find the right group of people to make it work from a vision standpoint. I just You tell me if I'm wrong, dude. Is it felt like since 2012 they've had everybody in the front office, there's a wide-ranging group of people that they've had over the years, has it ever felt like they've all been on the same page? No. No, there's no – I mean the only point in the front office would be the De Podesta – Sashi Brown, Andrew Barry group. But the problem with that is that, you know, he hired Hugh Jackson to be the head coach. And when the head coach isn't collaborative, collaboratively working with that group and doesn't understand or doesn't claim that he understood how big of a, you know, a rebuild it would take and all that type of stuff and clearly didn't do a good job of coaching the talent, then it, you know, it results in losses. And then people are pointing fingers about who, who is to blame? Is it the talent or is it the coaching? Maybe it's both. Maybe, you know, maybe people should have just been hired together, you know, with cohesion yeah. like you're discussing. And and I think that's, yeah, there's never been a point other than that where the people in the front office were all uh, working together. There just has to be a unified goal. I, I And that, you know, if they're bringing in the head coach at the same time, that's fine. Whoever it is, find people that are, are, are interested in being people in the room not offended not offended that somebody called me out or a guy who says why are we picking him in 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 it's a it's a conductive you know a, a, a productive conversation about why the why the understanding are we are we picking the right player are we signing the right player because they understand or they fit into what our plan is that stuff has to happen if 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 if, if a numbers guy comes to our next head coach and says hey we have a 28% success rate out of 11 personnel but we go to the 12 personnel we're running the football in first and second down and we have a 62% success rate using wide zone those numbers should excite somebody they shouldn't make them mm-hmm. annoyed. That shouldn't be the case. You should be able to talk about next-level thinking things as a franchise together. And I think that, you know, I just need them to, to find a way to get there. I'm not saying it has to be all numbers people, but I'm talking about they need to be conductive. I don't know why I keep saying conductive. Productive and cohesive people that can, can, can take opinions from other people you know, and be able to use them um, and mesh ideas and all of that stuff. I don't know. That's where I'm at. I think they need to be able to do those things um, in a productive manner. And if they don't, if they struggle with that, I don't want them to be here. That's my biggest point. Yep. And I think if you have those, I'm okay with different ideas. I'm okay with uh, different types of people, but they need to be able to be people that can come together. And if they're not people that can come together, that is a big problem. So, um Okay, so let's let's jump into pairings and how these pairings could work. Because we're, you know, we we talk about the the reports that they want to hire a head coach and pair him with the right GM so that the vision is aligned. Let's talk pairings. So if you if we we started this out by talking about Stefanski because I think it's important to backtrack the 2018 interview process to where they are going to be in 2019, why John Dorsey's leaving, and how that ties into what this 
the Podesta led search will be looking for. Um, we've discussed Stefanski. Uh, a lot of you have asked uh, about what Stefanski does that we like. Well, Brendan and I are aligned in this vision that they're. If you have if you have spent any time, and I would I would ask you to watch the uh, Saints Vikings playoff game. Hopefully they play well, so you're not blowing. You know, step back. This guy sucks, but. Anyway, they run a wide zone scheme. It's from Gary Kubiak. It's a wide zone running scheme. Dalvin Cook has played very well. He'll probably be one of the all-pro running backs. He's run really well um, in, in this offense, and it's very it's very conducive for what Nick Chubb is good at. If you've watched the Browns this year, a lot of the wide zone stuff is what Nick's great at because he can read that bang, bounce, bend tendency, whether you're going outside, cutting inside, or bending it back the opposite direction. He has very good vision, and the offensive line blocks it well. Now they're going to be probably replacing up to three offensive linemen, but I think they coach the scheme well and they run the scheme well. And what Stefanski does a really nice job of is using multiple tight ends in that scheme and then creating nice play-action shots downfield off of that scheme. So that's why we like it. I think it fits for the running back. I think it fits for the offensive line. I think it fits for their wide receivers being able to stretch the field and then use Jarvis at the second level. And then they have a quarterback who can throw the football downfield effectively. Baker's a good downfield thrower. If you if you give him a read or two on a play, he can really push the ball downfield with pretty solid arm strength. So those are things that you like about him and you you want to clean up his play action footwork. I think all of those things can happen organically in this offense. But that's what I like about it. Is there anything you want to add to that, Brendan? Yeah, something I'll add is I think that he does a great job of changing the launch point for the quarterback, yeah. which helps the pass protection because rushers can't just tee off on you know knowing where the quarterback's launch point's going to be all the time or anticipating where he's going to be in the pocket. They do a fantastic job of doing half rolls, half boots, uh, booting right or left off their you know like you alluded to wide zone or outside zone run action. So they just do a lot of stuff off that. Um, and yeah, I just I like the multiple personnel groups. I think I think the Browns will add a fullback if they hire him as the head coach. Um, CJ Ham has been a huge part of their offense this year. I think you know in hindsight, I think uh, at the time it wasn't a big deal to me, but I did I do think that the Browns missed that fullback role this year. Just having the threat of true true twenty one personnel with a fullback. I mean, I get that Kareem Hunt played that role late in the season. But, I, I mean, they didn't use it a lot, and I think that's partly because they didn't want him being the battering ram all the time yeah. doing that. Um, I think next year it's likely, honestly, regardless of who the coach is, because a lot of these candidates are guys that have used fullbacks in the past, but I think there will be a return of the fullback, whether it's in a big role or a small role. But but Stefanski, I think, uses 21 personnel, maybe more than anybody in the league except maybe Kyle Shanahan. I know that it's really close, but also – uses a lot of under center, which I think is good because it helps with Nick Chubb's vision, gives him kind of like you alluded to the an ability to have like a two-way go. Sometimes when you're running from shotgun in a sidecar with the running back, they can only really go one direction. So it really helps with his, his vision to get him downhill, and it helps with play action fakes. And I think studying their offense, they do a great job of selling play action. And uh, I also like the creativity with their wide receivers. Like, I really think that Jarvis Landry would be great in the Adam Thielen, uh, Thielen role yeah. where he can play Z receiver, play inside in the slot. And I also think if OBJ is back healthy, he's just a perfect fit in the Stephon Diggs role. So, you know, the Browns will have a need at wide and at the other receiver spots. But I think in, in general, I agree with you 100% that the personnel just fits, fits that offense like a glove. Yeah, and I think what's fascinating is both Jarvis and Odell are really good double-move guys, 
And um, mm-hmm. you talk about moving the pocket. You talk about long developing play action, which is what they're so good at. Minnesota, they sell it so well. It gives yep. those guys the ability to do that, make those double moves, gives them the time in routes. You know, it's no, it's no, no more disappointing thing for a wide receiver than to run a good double move, and it's just the, the quarterback sacked. I couldn't count how many times I watched that on film this year, where they would make a second cut, be open, and the quarterback's either ra- scrambling out right, is washed out, and that's some of that's on Baker, some of that's on the line, some of that's on the timing, and mm-hmm. I think that's what this offense is really good at, is the timing. Then you have a guy like Damian Ratley who can run downfield, post vertical shots, clear out type guy. And, um, you know, hopefully they can find a way to keep you. This is what's interesting is now with the removal of John Dorsey is, um, you know, maybe they want to keep Rashard Higgins and expand his role again like we saw last year. So yep. so it's interesting. I think, like you said, if they can find another tight end, there's some intriguing draft options. There's some intriguing free agency options, including Austin Hooper. There are guys that they can get as a second tight end that they can feel good about. Or they could just keep Najoku, run it back with Ricky Seals-Jones, and then, you know, maybe, maybe Carlson, keep, I like Carlson yeah. too on film. For the sure. more I study him, the more intrigued I am with him as an all around tight end as he develops. I'm with you. I Just think he's that, a good athlete. He has a, you know, he works hard at blocking. I think he understands his assignments and I, that goes a long way. Yeah. Another Ivy league guy, right? Um, yeah. So, so, so there are options there and I think the scheme fits them very well. So as we sort of transition to, um, what we like about Stefanski and I've, I got a couple messages from some people, um, I know Brendan did too, Arif Hansen, uh, Arif Hassan, who who does a great job with Minnesota stuff for the Athletic. That he talks about how high they are on him as a head coach in waiting, somebody that they've been grooming. He doesn't feel like Zimmer will be gone, even if the loss does transpire. But if it does, um, you know, seem that Stefanski has an opportunity, they're going to be let down because they really like him. But they don't think he's quite um, ready to take that role yet for them because of their situation with Zimmer. But they want him to be the guy. I got another message from Nick Olson who writes on them a lot. Uh, he said, in summary, I think he's a bright, even-keeled, egoless leader and a very good. He has a very good grasp on the X's and O's. Who has a good shot? Who has as good a shot as anyone to do very well as a head coach? So that's the stuff you want to read, right, Brendan? You want to read smart yep. guy, even-keeled, not overly passionate, not going not going to lose it on the sideline, lose vision of what's going on with the with the you know his team in the field of play. Egoless, extremely important to me, and I think you can see that, like you said, in the press conferences and the good grasp of X's and O's. So those are the things you want people to to talk about when you talk about a coach coming from another place. You don't want them to hear someone say, get rid of that guy. I don't want him here. You can have him. That's the stuff. Not that they would tell me that necessarily, but they would voice concerns. I gave them – I said, hey, tell me good or bad what this guy's – like and it was all good so those are the things that you want to hear so Stefanski is extremely exciting in that regard Uh, another first-time head coach but don't you know don't blame or sorry don't piggyback what you think somebody else will be like as a first-time head coach based on what Freddie Kitchens was like and I think that's a that's a scary thing that a lot of people can do so moving to what Stefanski would be paired with um the likely name that we keep hearing, and, and this is just correlation stuff, is that Andrew Barry would be a guy who could be the GM um, and then, you know, work under Paul and the vision and all of that stuff. So where are you on Andrew Barry? Does that excite you? I think the most intriguing thing about it is just that he's, you know, he's he seems to be young, open-minded, again, like an egoless guy. Like he, you know, he worked with Sashi Brown and, <clears throat> and Deepa Desta for a few years and then, Dorsey comes in and he, you know, he stuck around. He didn't have to do that. Um, he did leave before the prior, before the season this year, but still he did stick around. You listen to him talk in press conferences, very, 
very articulate speaker and smart and just seems very process oriented and understands um, just, it seems like he understands how to blend talent evaluation with, with analytics also with understanding the, the salary cap. And I think all of that stuff when it comes to like evaluating players as well as value forming evaluation on players, not just an evaluation, but evaluation for what they're worth when it comes to draft capital, salary cap, all those things. I think he, he might have the ability to do that, and that's intriguing. So you put <clears throat> him underneath, you know, with Paul DePodesta and their organization, as well as the analytics group that he's, you know, put in place, as well as, like, people are talking about Elliot Wolf um, sticking around, maybe as the assistant GM, possibly. Um, and then I'm sure that they also have scouts in the building that have worked with Barry and Wolf already. And then maybe with Stefanski in place, seems like a, a lot of guys that don't have huge egos that would be able to coexist together, work collaboratively, and do all the things that, that you were talking about earlier, where it just seems like a lot of grown-ups that are level-headed that should be able to get along. Um, kind of kind of uh, just another little tidbit is just that, you know, Deepa Desta, um, Andrew Barry, and Kevin Stefanski are all Ivy League guys. So that's just a little, you know, just a little thing about them, but still it just shows, you know, generally those people are analytical thinkers and smart people and, you know, it can't hurt. So I'm with it, man. I'm with it. And we're not trying to sell you on anybody. We're trying to talk about the positive and negative of this whole situation. Like if, if you're going to hire Stefanski, there is a risk that the guy uh, might not have it as a leader. He might not have it. Um, in terms of his ability to adapt his scheme with Baker Mayfield, we don't. There are things that we don't know. You are hiring a first-time head coach, and that could lead to issues. You don't know, um, so there are concerns. There are things that, like we keep talking about this. You've seen myself and Brendan tweet about this. We only know like twenty percent. I, I think I've settled on the number of twenty percent of the necessary amount of information needed. That's eighty percent of things that we would need to sit down and look at what his philosophies <laughs> are, what his ability to. Um, adapt personnel or what you uh, among his leadership styles among so many other things that we will never be able to know because we don't get to sit in on interviews but we can look at the outside things and the optics and see if we agree with where they're coming from with people so that's our take on Stefanski the other pairing of the three that we've heard a lot about I'll mention is, another question yeah, I no, have about him go ahead I just want to add um a question I have about him is if he'll be able to hire a great staff of just course. because he's been in Minnesota so long. So I get that he's been a part of a few different coaching staffs, but he just hasn't he hasn't ran around the league or been around a bunch of different teams like some people have. So I just wonder if he has the same connections as some people do. But, you know, that might just be, you know, might be crazy me saying that. But at the same time, it might be might be valid so it's just a question i have you don't know until the guy puts the staff together and they put the team on the field this this fall but just a question i have about him yeah no i think that that's extremely fair especially like you said being stuck in one spot and how how does his coaching tree work could gary kubiak help him with that is gary kubiak going to come with him i think a lot of people will (laughs) tell you that he's been an important part of things in minnesota um obviously he's He's done things in, in his career dating back to Denver and Houston that have been quality. Uh, he doesn't want to. It seems as though he doesn't want to spend the time and the commit the time it takes to be an offense coordinator again or a head coach again. Would he mm-hmm. be willing to come with him? That would be important for Kevin because that's a guy who's who's seen almost every situation. He's seen everything <laughs> a coach can see. 
Um, so, so that it, it, to me, that would be a very important question. Can you bring Gary with you? Would he be willing to come to Cleveland and be the assistant head coach, the offensive advisor that he is right now in Minnesota? So those are important things. Maybe Gary doesn't come in. Maybe without Gary's guidance in this offense or, or a guy to knock on the door and say, hey, man, teams are giving us this. What do you think? Or a guy on the headset telling him some things. That's another reason that you should be a little bit nervous if that does come to fruition. So yeah. things to keep in Minnesota on. might not let. Yeah, sorry to interrupt no, again. Good. Just just want to make sure I could say uh, I just think uh, it's important to keep in mind that Minnesota might not let Gary Kubiak leave. Also, for sure. So that's they just can they can stop consider. that. His yeah. his son is the QB coach there. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know, does his son try to go? With, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that that, that could happen. Um, but that's a good place to be plucking from because Minnesota's done a really nice job offensively, and uh, and 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 maybe those guys have taken some really good notes on how to handle teams, uh, you know, sorry, handle players specifically. You hope you hope that all of that stuff translates. That's always the hope because you're typically hiring first year head coaches. You're you're bringing them from successful endeavors, and you're hoping that they bring all of those important lessons and and uh you know player understanding pieces to you know they bring them with them. And, and apply them in your in, in you know in the new stop. So next job or the next opportunity um, that they'll hire or they'll interview from, excuse me, is uh, actually their first interview, which is the, the Mike McCarthy and uh, um, and it seems to be that if they do hire Mike McCarthy, they would be interested in Elliot Wolf as the GM. So that's another again air quotes pairing that we have heard could come to fruition. How 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 do you stand? We've had conversations about McCarthy. I think I know where you're at on this, but to, you know, tell everybody what you think of that uh, potential hire there. I really just have more questions. You know, I just I just wonder about um, like how how things went in Green Bay, like what what really went down there. Um, is all this stuff with him, you know, reinventing himself over the past year and the analytics and all the things that he's kind of done to just try to transform himself and understand the modern modern game? Is that all legit or is that all just, you know, media BS that he's putting out there a few weeks before the interviews happen so that he, you know, puts his best foot forward going in into these interviews? You know, that, that's kind of my questions about him. But obviously, he's got a Super Bowl ring as a as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he developed Aaron Rodgers and made him. You know, took him a. Actually, I think he did a great job of developing Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers would have been. You can't say without another with without him because maybe some other coaches would have done a great job with him too. But I think Aaron Rodgers came a long way from what he was coming out of Cal to what he became you know, in the NFL being a future hall of famer. So, um, you know, obviously McCarthy has a great track record when it comes to that. He's been there before has a long track record of leadership as a head coach. Um, I think, I think he would coach. I think a benefit of him is he would hire a staff that would definitely coach Mayfield hard. And I think that is what Mayfield needs. And I think that this, this team needs a lot more discipline just with how it's currently constructed. I think there's going to be a lot of changes that take place um, in the locker room. I think they're going to be shuffling players in and out of the building this offseason, just trying to get more character and more leadership into this locker room. But still, there's still going to be some of these undisciplined people in the on the team and some of the you know young players that maybe were looking up to the wrong people the past year or two that, <laughs> that they're going to have to bring along and get those guys to buy in. And I think McCarthy will run a tight ship and I think that he'll expect that of those players. So so that's a that's an important thing when you've got a young team. 
really for me it's just has this guy really reinvented himself can he really get a team back to the top again you know all those things it's just has the game caught up to him like people said about Andy Reid at one point in Philly when he got fired or you know has he reinvented himself like Andy Reid did I mean that's that's the big questions for me yeah, I'm with you, and I think the age of his staff, you know, Jim Haslett, some of these Sherman, some of these guys he's considering bringing with him, um, you know, are these going to be guys who are willing to, like you said, part, that's, you know, partake in, um, you know, the number stuff that's out there, and like you said, how the game's changing. It's not, it's not coached yep. the way it was, uh, you know, even five years ago. I think it's evolved a lot. It's evolved quickly. He does present a really nice opportunity for them to hire somebody who's been in front of. Uh, important teams, been in front of winning teams. He's been there. I think they talk about, Jarvis Landry talked about leadership. Those guys want to talk about somebody who's been in those situations before that they can respect and will probably command a high amount of respect the minute he walks into the building. That's a guy like Mike McCarthy. I think that's that's probably the guy with maybe what you would consider the highest floor. Maybe his ceiling doesn't go as high as some of the others, but he does have a high floor. You know you're going to get a professional coach. You know you're going to get... Um, for the most part, uh, a guy who understands what it takes to win and how players need to be coached to win and, uh, and understands a winning culture. Now, there's, there's also levels to uh, you know, him, not, him not being adaptable. That's what you've got to vet, like you said, Brennan. Is he going to be able to adapt? Is he going to be able to um, you know, make sure that his offense isn't the slant, flat nonsense that he was running consistently with Aaron? Some of those things that were floated around, like is he going to be creative? Is he going to to find ways to unlock Mayfield? Uh, those are fair questions. I think those are extremely fair. Who's going to call plays for him? Um, is he going to be able to connect to younger players like he needs to connect? Those are all things that you just you just have to ask, um, and you have to vet if he really did change or if he if he he has painted this picture of himself as a changed guy <clears throat> to get another job. Um, how how do you feel about Elliot Wolf potentially being a decision maker at a, at a general manager? I to me it feels like from the outside that if they paired Elliot with McCarthy, it would be McCarthy who has the ultimate say. But that's just sort of my hunch. Where are you at with it? I just have such a hard time, you know, reading it. Like he came over with Dorsey, it seems like, so I have trouble like disconnecting the two. But it seems like people are saying that Wolf is much more of a. Like he just lays low in the organization and he doesn't have the big ego like like Dorsey and maybe Heisman did, which like maybe he's as as a younger guy, maybe he's more open minded about where the game's going and more open minded about analytics. And maybe it seems like he might have a good relationship with Paul DePodesta as well. So I, I don't know a ton about him, but, you know, those are all promising things to me if those if that's how it is. And um and and also another thing with uh, with McCarthy that I want to say is just I uh, it's not just you know him catching up to the game now and where it is now, but it's also him adapting over the next ten years because you're hoping that this coaching hire is in place as the head coach of the Browns for a long long time, and it's not just about this season or next season or you know even like 2024, but it's it's like it's about the long term and is this guy going to keep studying the game and, and adapting evolving and changing like i saw that just for example just to go back to stefanski for a second because we're kind of comparing candidates i saw where he said that he he goes around the entire league each week on monday morning and he looks at the top five or it might have been monday or tuesday morning but once all the games are concluded he goes around the entire league and he watches the top five plays that each team has ran that week 
to get a feel for you know just the schemes the teams are running around the league and if there's anything that he can take and put into his offense to make the team better if it fits their personnel and what mm-hmm. they do i thought that was a really neat little tidbit for a young offensive coordinator to be you know just purposefully looking around the league just to see what other people are doing and if they if he can add that stuff i just i don't know if mccarthy's the type of guy that's going to do that as time goes on I just it's just hard to say you know that's just another question about him is he going to adapt for the long term I'm with you I don't know there's there's as much as we feel like there's certainty in bringing on somebody like McCarthy because he's been there he's done some of these things before he's got eight eight seasons with 10 wins or something like that or he's got um you know uh, a Super Bowl ring but is he willing to adapt how committed is he if he comes back to Cleveland I I don't know. We're just going to have to see and trust sort of that, that he blows the interview away at that point. And um, we, we would we would need to trust, um, you know, the hire. Because at this point, I'm not going to knock any hire. Uh, I guess I, I, yeah. I guess I could knock hire. But I just felt good about some hires before, and they've just totally washed out. So I'm not going to waste my energy feeling good or bad or whatever uh, until I see yep. it. It's just a show-me-Ws kind of thing. So let's... So okay, let's chat about the last potential pairing, which is which is the New England um, John Carroll connection that comes to Cleveland. These guys are all you know personally connected through the Northeast Ohio area, which is Josh McDaniels and Dave Z- Ziegler, Ziegler, whatever. We'll, we'll get it right if he gets hired, I guess. But uh, these guys, these guys obviously have a connection um, up this direction. They've connected through New England and done very well. There is everybody who's connected to New England in there in that building when they're with New England has done well. Um, this is the guy that has been rumored so many times and, uh, Josh dates back to his first stint as a head coach in Denver that ended poorly, um, fired mid season amidst some, some, some nonsense that was going on in Denver at that time. And then, uh, obviously has the opportunity with the Colts and backs out of that Colts job for reasons that we don't really know. I think we people have a hunch about that stuff and some of the, the hires that he wanted to make. But uh, he backs out of that, and now he's back with New England and didn't take a job last offseason. There seems to be some growing sentiment within the front office, people connected to Cleveland, that they like Josh. It's somebody in the building, whether it's D, whoever, they really like Josh and they want to make the pitch for Josh. Um and, and and those who know Josh say he does not want to have ultimate say on personnel like, like he struggled with in Denver and would be willing to take a job that does not in, involve that label. I have talked to a couple people from New England who I talk to frequently about, um, you know, we've had discourse this year about Jamie Collins and Cordy's and, um, you know, when the Browns played the Patriots. And they're very high on him. They They like him a lot. They believe he's matured in the ways he needs to mature. They believe he's a fantastic game day, game planning, football X and O understanding guy. Uh, I think that's not what many of us doubt. I don't think there's any of us doubt that he understands that, and he understands how to work with quarterbacks. He understands obviously his relationship with Tom Brady. You know, and his success with Tom brings an immense amount of respect right away, and that's something Mayfield would respect. And also that Josh did like Baker. It was very known that the Patriots were um, big believers in Baker Mayfield. So. That is a very real connection, and where do you, uh, I'll, I'll give my thoughts after you, but where do you sit on Josh as a potential, um, I guess is the third most realistic candidate here? Yeah, um, I like there's just a lot of questions, but I also see positives. You know, obviously if you watch the Patriots offense over the years, it's, it's hard not to see positives with it. 
Um, it's also easy to question, though, at the same time, you know, he's been with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady that entire time. So, like, how much of it is him? How much is it, of it is them? Um, I think I'm encouraged by the fact that it's been 10 years since he was in Denver and also the fact that his his record really wasn't that bad from what I remember. I think they won nine or 10 games the first year and then won, I'm not sure how many before he got fired the second year, but it, it wasn't like he was just a complete failure. Like some of these coaches are in the first two years. Um, <clears throat> but you know, it's been a lot of time since then. So I'm sure that he's been focused on getting back to the point where he can be a great head coach and, you know, learning, like he knows firsthand what it's like to be a head coach. So I'm sure there's a huge learning curve that just comes from that. So now he's been able to take this past like 10 years or so, try to learn on the fly and continue to, uh, you know, pick Bill Belichick's brain and all these other coaches that have been hired around him, uh, coaches that have left the staff that he has relationships with, like Patricia and Flores and all the other guys and ask them what it's, what, what they've learned and maybe, you know, pick their brains. Like I feel like those experiences are probably valuable to him if he's doing that. Um, I think just my read on him, I do think that he's egotistical. Like he's definitely, you know, like any coach, like any good coach is going to have a confidence about them and feel that, that they're good if they're, if they realize that they're good. But I think, I think he definitely is going to come with some of that and some, you know, I could see him really pounding the table for certain players in certain situations like that. Maybe it's not a great process to do that in the moment. Um, just seems very sure of himself and comes with, you know, an ego, like I said, like many coaches would. But um, but yeah, from a schematic standpoint, I mean, the Patriots offense changes week to week a lot. They run the Earhart Perkins offense, but they do a lot of stuff that's game plan specific. They do a great job of taking players that don't always have the, you know, the first round skill set, but they they build a they build a system where those guys can come in and do what they do well. And I think that's one of the things I like the most. You know, they use a lot of shifts and motions to give tells to the quarterback per snap. Um on what the defense is running, whether it's man zone. Um, they're very creative with using their backs in the passing game. And just, I think they're just good at, he's done a good job of building the offense around the strengths of his playmakers, whether it be Edelman who can play inside or outside. Um, you know, James White's another player that was like a fifth round pick. And he's kind of built that offense kind of around those two players, I would say this year at least. And I know the offense hasn't been great, but still he's, done a good job i think of trying to accentuate those guys strengths um well too they haven't they haven't drafted at the top of drafts very well i mean they 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 that's something that's interesting to me is if you're bringing somebody over from the player personnel side with um or the front office side with new england is they haven't drafted very well at the top now they find mid-round gems and they find guys who end up fitting their system and stuff in the middle to later rounds which is great but you know, Nikhil Harry and Sony Michelle and some of these guys that they brought in recently or the Mohamed Sanu trade, like they're not working with a gold mine of talent on offense. Um, with Gronk's yeah. retirement, um, you know, it's 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 it, you watch them in the first this is their first time playing in the wild card weekend for um, you know, what is it, nine years? You'll you'll see some of the deficiencies offensively in Tennessee mm-hmm. will probably oh, give them time. a really good game. So the thing that is interesting to me is I like that you said, Brennan, is Josh does a nice job of adapting. The Perkins Earhart system is quarterback friendly. Um, I think that there are things, um, 
that they do really well adapting to personnel and figuring out how to make it work without top-tier talent. That's great to me. But there's also somebody bringing in the talent, and those guys at the top have really been a hit or miss um, with New England. Now, that, that shifts. You're going from the typically the 32nd to 28 to 32nd pick to top 10, um, you know, so, so that changes a little bit. But how, how well they have drafted or lack thereof at the top of drafts has been – um, and is something that needs to be noted because it's not been great. But they, you know, Josh has been able to make it work. Um, and, and I think that people need to steer away from thinking that all New England assistants are failures because I'm not totally sure that that's the right way to think anymore. I obviously know that Browns fans correlate New England assistants to Romeo Cornell and and uh, uh, Charlie Weiss and some of those guys. But I think, you know. Manzini. Sure, yeah, God, obviously. Um, is is that lately they've been be- like they've been better in my opinion. I don't think that um, you know Matt Patricia hasn't done great, but I think the Lions have been really competitive this year. They had a couple things that 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 went awry with officiating that cost them some games, and, and they were very competitive. I just remember watching the, the 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 sorry the Lions early in the season and thinking that's a team that could really surprise people, and they're playing well, and they were giving teams really good games. Things fell apart. Matt Stafford gets hurt. It goes downhill. Yep. Whatever. Brian Flores wins five games with what might be the worst talent on a roster in the NFL that I've seen. And I don't know, by the end of the year, that that roster was terrible. It might, yeah, you might be right. It might be an ever situation there. And Bill O'Brien, for all of his faults, he's not a GM. They should not be having him in charge of player personnel decisions like they do. But he's done relatively well. They've, They've gone to the playoffs, the Texans. He's gotten the most out of Deshaun Watson. Like, they're, they're not, I'm just saying, Hiring a New England assistant mm-hmm. anymore is not saying it's a death sentence. I think that those guys can do well. Now, it comes yep. down to did he learn anything in 10 years? Is he still an ego-driven maniac? Is he going to be able to relate to players? Is he going to run people out of the office saying doing things the Patriot way like he was in Denver that rubbed people the wrong way? It's not it's not New England. You have to set a new you have to get people to respect you in a new place. And you have to be able to be somebody that people feel are, is an approachable guy. He has to prove that stuff. Has he overcome mm-hmm. the things that, that, that did him in in his 10 years ago situation? And can you vet out with people that are going to sit in a room with you and say, hey, man, really, why did you bail on the Indianapolis job? Can you get past yeah. those things? And can he build a good staff? You know, Because that's something else that's going to be important is – um, has he made enough quality connections to build a good staff around him? I don't know. I don't know what people in the NFL think of him outside of the the bubble that is New England. That's to be determined. So um, I'm with you. I see a path where it could work. I could also see a path where it's a disaster in two years um, because of his, his past bad habits, because of the connection to home and the pressure that is there. I see all of it. Um it should be very fascinating. Those three are the are the three that are the front runners for the job, um, and they also have their pairings of guys who who will make personnel decisions with them. Are there any of the others, whether it's the San Francisco trio with say I think I'm pronouncing it right? Is it Rob Robert Sala Saley? I don't know. I don't know if I'm. Saying I think that. it's Sala. Sala. I think it's Sala. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I give you two options. Sala. Both of yeah. mine are wrong. <laughs> Um, is there anybody between Sala that intrigues you or Greg Roman or the Wink Martindale um, names that have been put in for a quest? Or even Eric Bieniemy? Is there anybody we're not talking about that you're really intrigued by? Um, I, th- I think um, 
the only person, and it's more probably an offensive coordinator candidate, would just be Mike McDaniel, and he's the run game coordinator for the 49ers. Um, he's he co- he also coaches wide receivers for them, and I think that that's very unique. Andrew Hawkins, who used to play wide receiver for the Browns, obviously, he's spoken very very highly of Mike McDaniel on his podcast as well as on Twitter, saying that he's the best offensive mind he's ever been around, and he's been around Kyle Shanahan and Jay Gruden, Hugh Jackson, who he also says a lot of good things about. Um, but you know he he speaks very highly of him. And uh, Mike McDaniel, not as a head coach candidate necessarily, but maybe if Kevin Stefanski, I think I think Stefanski has been involved, maybe not all the time, but sometimes with this group that gets together in the offseason works with high school quarterbacks called the Quarterback Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a group of coaches like Shanahan, McVay. Um, it's actually started by Mike Shanahan. So it's like Mike, Kyle, Sean McVay, Mike LaFleur, Matt LaFleur, uh, Mike McDaniel, and then just on down the list. It's just a bunch of coaches that are kind of all have worked on that Shanahan tree together. And I think Stefanski's been involved with it previously. I know that Stefanski, he might not be involved with it now, but he has worked those camps before. And I think he does have connections to them, obviously, from Kubiak. Um, Mike McDaniel worked on Gary Kubiak's um on his coaching staff in Houston in the mid to late 2000s, I believe. So that was where he met Kyle Shanahan. Um, he actually overcame uh, alcoholism. So that's kind of just a unique little thing because I know people have probably seen me talk about him on Twitter or seen Adam Schefter mention that the Browns might interview him, although some people have said that's not going to happen. But he, I guess he was an alcoholic um, throughout that time in Houston. Uh, that led to he was like late to some meetings and overslept and stuff. And uh, so it ended up where I think Kubiak kind of made him leave the team that offseason after the 2008 season. Maybe he had to go to the XFL for a few years, I believe. And then Kyle Shanahan brought him back on the staff in Washington once he was offensive coordinator. So then he coached there when Shanahan went to Cleveland in 2014. He brought Mike McDaniel with him to be the wide receivers coach. Took him to Atlanta throughout the whole time he was dealing with alcoholism and struggling with depression and stuff. There's articles about it online. Um, and then in Atlanta, they kind of put a process in place for him, allowed him to go to rehab, and then brought him back and I think elevated his role a little bit. So he had a lot more going on. And um, it just become became a more positive situation for him. And I read an article that said that he hasn't had a drink of alcohol since 2016. Um so that's just a little bit of background about him. But but people speak very, very highly of him. And I think just as someone that coaches, and I'm sure because you've coached before too, um, you know, a lot of times you see run game coordinator titles and it's running backs coaches or it's offensive line coaches. You usually see it with offensive line coaches because they're the people that handle – usually the offensive coordinator will be a pass game guy. So they understand the pass concepts and all that stuff. And then you have the run game coordinator is usually the sole line coach that's handling the pass protections and the run game bo- blocking schemes. And then they're, and then the OC just takes – usually during the week they're picking the brain of the O-line coach saying, hey, how are we going to block this? How are we going to block that? How should I call the protection this week? All that stuff. So they work hand in hand. What's so unique about Mike McDaniel's background, in my opinion, is like it's just crazy to see a run game coordinator that's also a wide receiver coach. That yeah. tells you that this guy understands the entire game. He understands offensive football to a T, and you just you don't see that 
you you just never see that. So I think that, um, and also some people have pushed back on the idea that Kyle Shanahan would let him leave his staff because he didn't allow Mike LaFleur to leave for the Green Bay staff last year. I think it might be a little bit different if if the person's going to have play calling duties. I feel like maybe the reason Shanahan didn't let Mike LaFleur leave to go coach with Matt last year might be because he wasn't going to call plays. I can't say 100% sure, but that might be the reason. So if Kevin Stefanski has a relationship with him, if he were to reach out and say, hey, Mike, you want to come call plays for me maybe? If Stefanski wants to you know, back off a little bit and just be more of an overseeing CEO type coach starting out, um, maybe, maybe that would be a tandem. But um, I'm not really – all that intrigued by a lot of the other candidates. I think Brian Dable's done a fantastic job with the Buffalo offense, done a great job with, with Josh Allen. You know, I think that's just a huge hurdle to overcome having him as his quarterback and clearly like him and the quarterbacks coach, Ken Dorsey have done a fantastic job with his development. Uh, I, I tweeted the other day that every time I watch the bills offense, I think Josh Allen looks very well coached when he gets to the top of his drop. He looks like he knows where, where he should be going with the ball, where he should be progressing, you know, from one to two to three, all those types of things. Whereas I watched Baker Mayfield this year and I think he gets to the top of his drop most of the time. And it just looks like a mess where he doesn't really, a lot of times it looks like the progression should start on the right, but he's looking to the left and then he runs off because he and then he runs because he's confused or maybe he got too deep in the pocket. Yeah. So now the edge rushers are running at him like it just looked in disarray. And you don't really see that with the Buffalo Bills offense, in my opinion. So I'm not saying that I want Brian Dable to be the head coach, but I am kind of intrigued by him just being someone that they're interviewing because I'm assuming that they they've probably seen the same thing. And that might be why they're, you know, just looking to interview him as a candidate. I'm fascinated, man. Those are good. Those are I mean, obviously McDaniel, because I I I really like anybody who's tied to um, the creativity that is going on in San Francisco because it's wild. Not just the creativity, but but just how well coached and disciplined they are um, on, on offense. I'm fascinated with it. So the only other person I would talk about that people seem to be bringing up a lot is Greg Roman. Um, I, I think Greg is has been around the block. He's done a lot of nice things in a lot of different places. Um, but my my only cause for concern is his quarterback type that he's found success with. Uh, I think he he he's found a lot of success being a creative mind for runners. Does that mean that he can't be a creative mind for a guy like Baker Mayfield? No, that doesn't rule that out. Um, but does that mean he yeah? Uh, what does the data about him tell us? It is not proven with the type of quarterback that Baker Mayfield is. So I don't know. We don't know. I do know that Greg's done a fantastic job working in offense for. For Colin, for Tyrod, and for Lamar, but those are a type. And even Alex Smith is a type. Those guys can move, and they make the the thing that people don't understand is maybe they don't run as much as you think they do, but the threat of them running, even Alex Smith, the threat of them running is something defenses are always accounting for. And that opens up levels of the field that would not normally be opened with somebody like Baker. So... That is where I would have just the slightest bit of hesitation. But it's a good interview. Same way I feel about Dable, although I never thought I would read that. Um, I do think that it is it is a good... If you're going to be of the thought process of maybe Mike McCarthy has changed, maybe he's figured this out, well, you can't be that way about Brian Dable. You know, the, the guy's been gone for a long time. He's come back as a different coach to interview, a different person 
Um, I think you learn in, so much in the matter of 10 years or however long it's been since he's, he was with Cleveland. You learn, you just learn so much. So I, I'm, I think it's a very fair interview. Not that I think they'll hire Brian, like you said, but I do think it's a fair interview and I think he's grown as a coach and I think that that's something that Greg Roman has done and I think it will be interesting to see what they think of him um, you know, as far as what his ability would be to work here because he's very highly respected by a lot of people that matter in the NFL. So, look, here's the good thing, Brendan. Uh, it, it's a wide range of pools, man, but th- this is good. I think it's good that they're interviewing around and they're getting a feel for the types of guys they want. I, I think there's being all this reporting about the top three that we talked about, but we don't really know. We don't know if who's going to get second interviews. I like that they're doing it um, – you know, first-time guys, guys who have been there before a long time, guys who have who have gone from doing it to, to an assistant role and are looking to come back a decade later. It is a wide group of people, and I like that. I think that is good. I think they should meet with as many people as they can and get a feel for as many different coaches as they can because they could be surprised. They could sit down with Mike McDaniel and say, holy shit. That guy is good, you know. Like they, they could, they could have, they could meet with anybody, and it could go differently. And as I'm sure that they met with Stefanski last year, and they were like, "Whoa, that guy is really impressive." So um, I'm, I'm encouraged by that, and I'm encouraged by the fact that they seem to be wanting to get. Uh, look, as, as as a Browns fan, I I don't blame anybody for saying I'm out. I'm stepping off of this. I've been doing it for too long. I, it's been a circus the past 10 years and then you add the next 10 years before that and it gets even more circus and it's like I'm just I'm I'm tired of it man I'm and I'm I'm still young I'm only 30 you're younger than me I'm just I'm tired of the conversation that has to happen the embarrassment nationally that has to happen and like my dad's an older guy and he doesn't have great health and it's sad to me to think that the best Browns football my dad ever got to watch was in a time where I wasn't even born yet and I just would like you know, we only get so many outlets in this world, and yeah, we cover these guys and get paid to do it, but it's still the root of me as a fan. I grew up a Browns fan, and um, I try to keep that as concealed as I can when I evaluate them, but it's hard not to care about them beyond just putting my fingers on a keyboard and typing and looking at film. I care about them winning because I know how many people the team matters to, and I would like to see them win, um, you know, when, when, like I said, when my dad's able to watch it and enjoy it and... and um, uh, but I'm numb. I'm 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 so to the point of show me W's as our friend Ryan Burns talks about all the time. Yes, right? it, it, it's so show me W's. Look, they'll hire somebody, and I'll be like, all right, <clears throat> I get it, that's fine. But I need to see it proven. And um, until that day comes, I'm not going to sit here and just give a round of applause for hiring, and I'm not going to sit here and just bash a hire until I see somebody do it. I am, uh, you know, I'm just I'm numb to it, buddy. Yep. I'm with you, man. They they got to show us W's. I, I kind of, you know, felt that way for a while. I just uh, you just get disappointed with the way that the owner has, you know, thrown people together over and over, and that and that's kind of why I feel a little bit more, a little bit more excited this time. Just just because of the fact that, you know, he's empowering De Podesta, and I think that I think he's a really smart guy, and he, um, you know, from what I understand what people have said he he has opportunities to go a lot of other places in, in professional sports there's a lot of people that are interested in him him working for and he could have left a while ago but he's stuck around the reason he came to the browns in the first place because he was intrigued by 
you know, turning around a franchise like the Browns, going to, you know, going from baseball or he turned around the Mets to going to the NFL and turn around the Browns. He he wants he wants to be a part of that. He he wants to turn around the team. You know, he's not just collecting a check like Mike Holmgren did. This is this is a dude that cares and he wants to turn around the team. And I think he's a really smart guy and he's capable based yeah. on the fact that he wanted he wanted them to hire Sean McDermott and he wanted and you know Stefanski looked good this year at least. So I'm excited that it seems like the Haslam's are empowering him and might give him a chance to lead this process. I just hope that they can for once get out of their own way and let him do his job that they hired him to do because I think that he'll come to a sound decision making process. I just don't want them to trample all over him in the process. I'm with it. I'm with it. I think that they have the right idea for the best guy. Hopefully they can all sit down uh, at the end of the day because it, it does have to be signed off by D and Jimmy. Hopefully they can right. they can get on the same page about it and then they can let them first let them do their job and find the guy. B trust that person that you believe in Paul or whoever's Paul's working with to make this hire. Believe in that hire, make the hire, and then let them let them do their jobs, man. Just let them let them do their job. So. That's a lot of information, and uh, hopefully it clears up a little bit. There were a lot of questions online, and we seem to have answered them sort of organically. Um, your Twitter questions in here about who these guys are. We will do more. I'm sure we'll. Uh, I'll have Brendan back on once they make the hire, um, both the the front office and the head coach, and we'll we'll talk about what what to predict. You know what we can predict from them and look at bigger picture things. But we'll keep you updated as we always do on Browns Phone Breakdown. Brendan, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Of course, anytime and, and many more in the future. And hopefully you guys had a great new year. Hopefully you got everything you know you wanted to, to get accomplished in 2019. And 2020 is great for you and off to a great start. And we appreciate you listening to Browns Film Breakdown. We'll be back, I don't know, maybe we'll be back later this week. Maybe we'll wait till they hire somebody. Who knows? We'll play it play by ear. What is it, Wednesday? God, I don't even know what day of the week. It's like this this hiatus Wednesday. between Christmas and, and New Year where you're like, what day of the week is it and where am I? And why, what <laughs> yeah. state am I in? It's wild. Anyway, okay, so hopefully the Browns make a hire in the next two weeks. We'll be able to chat about that and then start to look forward to what to expect of free agency and, and uh, the draft and all that fun stuff. So until then, we appreciate you guys. As usual, keep your heads up. It's not going to be the end of the world, Browns fans. Sun comes up tomorrow and it'll come up the next day and the next day and the next day. Maybe we'll see a winner someday. Until then, we'll see you soon. Go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. 
Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com